All right, so we are picking it up with uh, part two, chapter two, and um, and I, you know I was going over my notes and stuff over the last part of the week and last night, and um, I'm actually really excited that um, that this part was saved for Easter Sunday. It was not really my plan, but I just like how um, everything kind of worked out. So uh, those of you that have your notes from last week, you got your blanks already filled in, but I'll go ahead and fill those in for you for those that do not have yours or you didn't you weren't here last week. All right, so we got the devotional application. That's the first blank we got there. And it is our longing to be with Christ. Our longing to be with Christ. So when you take a look at chapter 2, that is going to be the overall theme that we want to take a look at. And, uh, and really, that's a great question to ask is, do you truly, truly long to be with Jesus Christ? Um, a lot of us, we can get so wrapped up in the things of the world and the things in our life that it can be very easy for us to long other things, desire other things, to spend time in other things. And uh, so anyway, we spent some time talking about that last week. The first part with the bridegroom speaks to the bride. We talked about how Jesus is, a, is like a beautiful flower. It can be found anywhere, especially in the midst of the valleys of life. We talked about that and with the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Um, we talked about how Jesus' love is one of a kind and found among thorns. Found among thorns. And thorns in the Bible are a picture of? Sin. Sin. Yes, yeah, sin. And that's why one of the reasons why you see the picture of Jesus Christ on the cross where he wears the crown of thorns. Um, there's definitely some typology going on there. And then we talked about how the bride speaks to the bridegroom, and that was verses 3 through 7. And we finished that out last week. Uh, we talked about how Jesus provides nourishment, comfort, shelter, protection, and rest. And we talked about how Jesus' words are sweet and satisfying. And then the last part on, the, on at least my notes here on this page is that Christ openly celebrates, that's your blank there, celebrates our relationship with him, and so should we. And that's something that's very important because I think at times we can be afraid to open up our mouth and talk about God, talk about the Bible, and talk about Jesus, when really we shouldn't. Um, God is never ashamed of you, ever. And that's something that's very convicting to me. I've been thinking a lot about that. On There are times where I might be afraid to speak about him, but if he were here and he were to be talking about me, he would never be afraid to speak about me, ever. And so we should feel the exact same way towards him. So we talked a bit about that last week. And then uh, we spent some time talking about uh, our hearts should long for Christ above everything else. Does he have your heart? What, what gets your time, attention, and your mind? And hopefully he does. But the things that you think about the most are the things that really have your heart. So we need to take some inventory on that. Our intimate relationship with Jesus Christ requires great trust. And then the last part that we finish is that we should care deeply about Christ's well-being. And that may sound strange because he has need of nothing. He's God. He's completely self-sufficient. But yet there are things that he desires. And that's what I'm talking about. There are things that God desires from your life. He desires from you. And we should care about those things. And so look at verse 7 before we move on into verse 8. So Song of Solomon, chapter 2, and verse 7. Somebody read that one. Go ahead, Kent. You got it. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. So in this circumstance, you have the Shulamite bride, and her husband, the bridegroom, is asleep. He's taking a nap. 
And she says, very specifically, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor wake my love till he please. She's very concerned about his well-being, what he desires, what he wants to do. And then she speaks openly to everyone else around her about him of don't wake him up. He wants to sleep now. Don't wake him up. She's caring for him. I mean, we do the same thing back home when it comes to, to Lucy. When it's nap time, things are different in our household. Our kids are not allowed to be as loud and rambunctious, and we try to work our hardest to make sure that doesn't happen because we want her to sleep. It's the same thing. When, when, when the kids get up in the morning, typically Lucas is like the first one to get up in the morning. We've tried to work him over and over and over again that if you're up, no one else is, you are not to be quiet. Don't stir up the entire house. Yeah, you are. Right. Same thing. <laughs> I was just speaking nicely. You are to be quiet. <laughs> right. So, um, but that's very important. Very, very important. So she cares about his well-being, and that's the whole point behind that. All right. So now let's take a look at verses 8 through 13. And we're going to read all of these verses in one chunk because they all go together. And we spent some time talking about these verses in the past because there's a doctrinal application that's here. But I want to take a look at not only the doctrinal but also the devotional application. All right. So number three. Number three, it is the rapture of their relationship. The rapture of their relationship. So go ahead and fill that one in. We'll pray, and then we will read these verses. The rapture of their relationship. Lord God, I pray this morning that you would um, have our hearts and have our minds and have our attention. Uh, There's no doubt that this week um, has been trying for all of us in some way, shape, or form. Um, When it comes to our heart and the attention of our heart, it's something that can just get so easily wrapped up in other things. Um, The things that we're involved in. Um, the things that we're doing with our free time, all those things reflect where our heart is truly at. And frankly speaking, I know I can be honest about this myself because I've just been thinking about this all week and even last week, that you deserve more of my time. You deserve more of my heart, more of my mind. And so that means that I need to be spending more time with you. And uh, so God, help us to see those things in our life in the midst of the busyness, uh, in the midst of the craziness, of, of life and the things that we're committed uh, to do and to take care of. Um, God, we should be even more committed unto you. We should make you a priority in our life above the other things that are going on. And, and we just need to do that. If you want to be honored in our life, which you do, and you ought to be, then we need to make time for you and we need to give you our heart. So I pray you'd help us to see these things with a clear perspective this morning. And it would change the way that we look at even this next week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look at verse 8. We're going to read 8 through 13. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing of birds is come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Alright, so 
this is absolutely amazing. We've spent some time t- talking about this and talking about how this is a, a doctrinal picture of the rapture. And I do want to mention that. But here's the thing. When you put yourself in the shoes of the Shulamite bride, you see a couple things here. First of all, his voice catches her attention. And she sees him coming. But then in verse 9, it says, My beloved is like a row or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. So he's standing behind a wall. And what's a lattice? Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like a crisscross network of wood, you know, where you can kind of see, but kind of not. And so she hears his voice, sees his appearance, but he's not there. And then from behind the wall, from behind the lattice, he says, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, her heart is so overwhelmed with love for him and care for him <laughs> that the moment that he says that, what does she want to do? She wants to go. She wants to go. Immediately when he calls, she wants to go. That is her heart's desire. And then he talks about how the winter's past, flowers are appearing, the fig tree put forth green figs, and the vines and, and the tender grape gives a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. So her heart's desire is constantly, but it would require her to get up from where she is and to go to where he's at. Now, this is an amazing, an amazing picture of the rapture of the church. Absolutely amazing. First of all, where is Jesus Christ today? He's in heaven. And he is behind what is called the, the Sea of Glass. So if we were to draw a picture, sorry, I gotta, I gotta get rid of the Feliz Pascua. Remember that, Feliz Pascua. All right, so you've got Earth right here. And then you have at the top of the universe, you have this, which is called the Sea of Glass. And this is where God's throne sits. And just for the sake of not wanting to draw any more than a square, that's God's throne. All right. And so you have the first heaven, which is the atmosphere around the earth. The second heaven is outer space. And then you have the third. And that's where God is. Okay? So you got the first, the second, and the third. And this is what the Bible refers to as the stories that are in the heavens. It's in the book of Job. It talks about that. And uh, if you want to take a look at that from a more specific, like when it comes to a theological perspective, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven, not heavens, heaven and the earth, singular. And then as you work through chapter 1, when he creates the firmament that divides the waters from the waters, that's when he creates the three different heavens. And so by the time you hit the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So in chapter 1, God created these three heavens. Now the thing about it is, is this sea of glass that exists, it's almost like a, a, a wall of water that exists, and it's called the Great Deep. So if you were to go and, and search in your Bible, you'll find that there's this thing that's called the deep. and talks about how the deep is frozen, and the sea of glass is that. And it refers to that way in the book of Revelation and the sea of glass and all that. Also within the sea of glass, there is a door that opens up according to Revelation. Take a look. Hold your spot here and go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> Revelation 4, someone read verse 1. Okay, you already had one. Mark, go ahead. After this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven, and the first 
first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Okay, so there is a door that opened in heaven, and then you have a voice that says, Come up hither, and then verse 2 it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So the thing that divides heaven, the third heaven, from the second heaven and the first heaven is this sea of glass. So if we were to look at the sea of glass from this perspective, okay, so we'll just say when you look up at the night sky, and in my opinion, when I look at it, you know, it's the North Star, whenever I look at stuff like that, um, there is the sea of glass that exists. If you were to take a ship and go as far as you could up there, you would hit what would be the sea of glass. It would be a frozen deep, it would be a frozen barrier of water. Within there, there would be a door. And that door can be open and closed. Obviously, Revelation 4.1. Also, if you remember, remember in Noah's time when God had the flood? What did it say? It says the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So there are also windows. I don't know how all this works. I just believe the Bible and that's what the Bible says. So there are places where you have windows and doors. Okay. So I don't know how this would work like this, but just if I'm going to just believe it, here's your window. Here's your window. Ta-da! All right. So I don't know if it actually looks like that. I mean, if you go up there and there's a sea of glass and it looks like a house. I don't know. But anyway, but it says that there's windows and doors. I don't know how that actually works out. But the other thing that I think about is this, is beyond the sea of glass, you have God, right? And according to 1 John, just go back a couple books to 1 John. I'm doing a couple things that were not in my notes, so hopefully this doesn't take up too much time. 1 John chapter 1. And it says in verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is what? Light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So once you pass beyond the sea of glass, what do you have? Light. No darkness, because that's where God is. That's where the Spirit of God is, right? Okay, so since you have windows and doors, and God is light, what is shining through the windows that are there? God's light. Now, I just find it ironic that it is that way, but when you look at the North Star and the entirety of our solar system, it's just the stars all rotate around that North Star, that there's something just strange about that. When you think about how God has positioned us within the universe, and you take a look at north and true north and how it points to the north star, you know, my take on it is that's where actually heaven is. And that's where the light of God is shining through what would be these windows. And when God opens up the door, it would be that door. Because if this sea of glass were removed, (laughs) the entire universe that's entirely pitch black would no longer be pitch black. It wouldn't be. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the entirety of our universe, solar system, everything would no longer be black darkness. It would be light. So before the sea of glass in Genesis chapter 1, that was the universe. Now, I say this to you because when you go back to Song of Solomon...
and you see the fact that you have Solomon, which is also Jesus Christ, who's standing behind our wall and looking forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Verse 9. Jesus Christ desires to be with you and I, right? I mean, he does. He can't wait for that day. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's up there now looking down through the windows, seeing what's going on. And he cannot wait to be here and to be with us and for us to be with him. And so there are elements of this where like he's not here, but he is, but he's not, but he is. And that's why one of the reasons like when he left, the Holy Spirit came and he sent his spirit to us because he was supposed to be our comforter to guide us into all truth. And it's also referred to in the scriptures as the spirit of Christ. Like he is actually inside of us and he wants to be with us. And that's the best that he could do until the day comes where we can actually be with him physically. So his heart is towards you. And so when I read stuff like this, I picture Jesus Christ. Because really, where do we hear the voice of Christ? Where do we hear him? Are you hearing audible voices again? (laughs) No. The word of God. The word of God is the voice of God. Okay? The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountain, skipping upon the hills. When I hear God's voice, does it excite me? When I get into God's word, does it stir inside of me a desire to be with him and to hear from him? There are some days when I get up and I'm in my flesh and it's no, absolutely not. But when I get into it, I'm like, oh, I needed that. I needed that. And so I hear his voice, and this is, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, and my fair one, and come away. There are days when I get into the word of God, or God is convicting me through a sermon, or through circumstances, or through something else that I'm reading, where I feel like God is convicting me. He's like, Rise up and come with me. I want you to obey. I want you to do this. And he stirs inside of me this desire to be obedient. You know, this past week, it did it for me. I was thinking about this, and I was telling my wife about this a couple of days ago. Um, so about three weeks ago or so, you know, the guy that was um, the old youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church, um, my dad hired him on. I was little. He was, he was the youth pastor for both of my sisters. And so I never had him. But I knew him because I knew his family. He was on staff. Um, but he uh, left when I was in sixth grade when we had the church split and started Maranatha. And then he was the youth guy over there for a bit and then did some other stuff and became one of the associate pastors. And then they decided they wanted to do a church plant in North Canton. And so the church plant in North Canton, you may have heard about it. Um, I think it's called Mission View, something like that was the name of the church. They're meeting in Hoover High School. And um, it was Steve Marshall. That was his name. So he started that. And I saw him every now and again. And and, uh, we would say hi. And it would be very cordial and everything would be fine. Well, then I had heard about a month ago, or not a month ago, about a year ago, almost two years ago, that he had come down with cancer. And I'm like, oh, it's crazy because he's got kids, and then I know his kids are a little bit older, and now he's got grandkids. And I'm like, how terrible. And so um, I ran into him, and I talked to him about it. I said, hey, I heard that you had cancer. How are you doing? I decided just to be straightforward and honest with it. And he's like, honestly, he's like, it's not too good. It's very, very aggressive. The doctors told me I got about a year to live. And this was maybe, I don't know, eight months ago when I found out about it. And he's holding his little grandbaby. <clears throat> so um, just started thinking about that. And it really put a lot of things into perspective. Um, but anyway, about three weeks ago, he passed away. 
and there's part of me where I was like, I'm, I'm really, really excited for him. I am. I'm super excited for him because he's in a place where I long to be. And now he sees things perfectly clearly. And I know some of the things that, you know, some of his decisions, especially when they decided to leave and start Maranatha and all those things and how, you know, frankly, they mistreated my father and all that kind of stuff. But I think about that and I think about now he knows the truth. You know, now he knows the truth. And I'm glad because I know that's going to happen for a lot of people at one point or another. But I started thinking about him and I started thinking about that he's not here. He's there. And how amazing that would be. And there's part of me where I was a little bit jealous because he's there and I'm still here. And uh, But I started thinking about that because it just helped me in my life of thinking about, okay, whenever that day is, I have no idea when it's going to be here, but whenever that day is, I want to be ready for that day. And so what am I doing now? What am I doing in my life? What are the things that really matter the most? And am I... Am I majoring on those things? Am I, am I spending my time wisely because I'm given another day where I can honor God? Because if I were to go to heaven now, what would be the things that I would immediately regret? What would be those things where, where he would look at me and I'm like, I know I should have done that differently. And the time that we have now is time that we have to take advantage of in order to do things right and do things properly so that when you get there, you can be even more excited. And sometimes I feel like we don't walk with God and we don't see things clearly now and and we don't want to be with him. We don't long for that day where we're with him face to face because we're just not living right. We're not making the best choices. We're not doing what he wants us to do. And I wish that could be different. I want it to be different. And so all I know is, is that, okay, the past is the past. Like that's over and that's gone. I have now and I have the next few minutes. I have the next few hours. I have tomorrow. So I can't change anything about the past. It is what it is. Good or bad, whatever, it's the past. But I have this in front of me now. I have this in the next day. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to let those things from the past determine my obedience or disobedience tomorrow? It should never be that way. If we have another day or another hour, another minute, there's always hope. But too many of us, we make decisions in the future based on the patterns of the past rather than the reality of what is at stake now and what's going to be happening in the future when we're with him one day. Because we will be with him one day. If we've trusted him as our savior, we are going to be with him. And when I read stuff like this about how his voice stirs within her heart, it's almost like she was waiting for him. And she was waiting for him to say, all right, it's time. Come now. Come now. It's time for you to come with me. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm left to ask myself questions like, okay, am I that way daily with him? Like, yeah, I've got the rapture that's in front of me. And yeah, I know that he's going to come for me. And I should be excited about that day. But like when I open up my eyes the next day and I hear his voice I'm ready to run. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do whatever he wants me to do. Because here's the point, and this is what I'm getting at. You need, if you love God, if you love Jesus Christ, if you are in a love relationship with him, this is the first point. Live your life with Christ in anticipation with all readiness of mind. I think for too many of us, Christianity is boring. 
And that's wrong. If you are living a version of Christianity that is boring, it is not biblical. It's not of God. It's not of Jesus Christ. It's of the devil. That's the bottom line of it. If you are living a version of Christianity that bores you to death, that is grievous to you, that you just don't want to be with him, you don't want to walk with him, you don't want to do what he says, it is not of God. It's not of God. I don't know who it's from. It could be from you, it could be from the devil, but it is not of God. Because what I see here is what a true love relationship is between a bride and her love, between us and Jesus Christ. In too many days, I don't live like this. This isn't me, and it's wrong. This is so wrong. I've created a new version of Jesus, of church, of the Bible, of of Christianity, that is just false. And no wonder why I struggle with the sins that I struggle with. No wonder why I feel convicted that I should be doing more. No wonder why things are not going right in my life sometimes. No wonder why I... I just make a mess of things because this isn't me. I've, I've somewhere along the way, I've substituted the real thing for the fake. And it has got to change. And the only way that it can change is if you admit the fact that you've done it too. That's the only way. For you to realize whatever I have going on here between me and God is just not it. It's not what the Bible says. That's the first place that you start. And then from there, with you being honest with God, then step forward in anticipation of what he can do and what he desires to do. Because what I see in the church today, like even though our church is a good church, I see among us, among all of us, the Laodicean church where we are not serving God the way he deserves to be served. And it's a heart issue. The reason why we are not doing what he wants us to do the way he wants us to do it is because there's something wrong in here. It's not because there's something wrong with him, because there's nothing wrong with him. He's already got it down. He's just waiting for us. It's like him calling every day. Can you imagine this? If he is speaking the voice of my beloved... He's standing behind her wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through loudness. And my beloved spake and said, Unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And we don't care a lick about what he says. Can you imagine if he said that to you and I, and we're like, mm, no thanks. Because that's what we do. That's what we're doing. There's something that's just terribly wrong. And until it changes, it's just not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. We should never let our walk with Christ become routine. And to always be ready and live in expectation of the incredible things he desires to do in and through you. And honestly, I feel like stopping there. I do. Because I feel like going beyond that if we don't get this then what's the point of anything else and this kind of a life is I mean it's amazing I've had glimmers of it in my life I've not had a consistent string of it for years and that's my fault but I've had glimmers of it in my life where like I thought like when I get up in the morning and I spend time with them and I think about the people that I come in contact with and I'm and I'm thinking about their eternity 
and I'm thinking about potential conversations where I don't know where this could lead, but if I talk to them about church or I talk to them about God, it could turn into something where that's exactly what they were praying for. That's exactly what they were hoping for, and it could turn into this amazing conversation. Or if not, and they ridicule me for it, that's okay because I love him and I want to show my love by talking to other people about him. Or, you know, just being in the right place at the right time with somebody where you could be the person that, that makes the difference in their eternity just by the something that you say or the something that you do or, or, or whatever the case might be. That's what I'm talking about. It's like we live as if Christ can't do anything. Why do we do that? I mean, has he done something in your life? I mean, has he saved you from eternal damnation and the consequence of sin in your life? That's not a small thing. That's big. That's huge. And so if he can do that with you, then what can he do through you for somebody else? All right, we need to think about this a lot more. We just do. I want to get done with this chapter, but I don't want to move on from that point. So maybe we'll come back to it at the end. All right, point number 200, the rapture of their relationship. Uh, Doctrinally, as you're blank there, it speaks of the rapture of the church. It speaks of the rapture of the church. And we can look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, but you can look at that later. You guys get it. We've talked about the rapture before and what that means. But here's the point behind this. Christ longs to be with us. And we should long to be with him. And let me give you a gauge on this as far as where your heart, take a temperature of your heart on where it's at with this. Longing to be with him should be your number one desire. Like take all the things you desire in your life, all of them, whatever they are, about wanting to do well on the next test. Some of you don't care about that at all. Or whether it be doing really, really well in the next game or doing well here so that way you can get into that particular school or wanting to get this particular career because that's what you really want to do with your life or finding that person you want to marry, whatever. Whatever it is, whatever it is, playing Fortnite. Whatever it is. I had to throw that out there. I'm sorry. Whatever your number one desire is, it cannot compare to your desire to be with Jesus Christ. Like it should not even come close. And so I want you to ask yourself, do I truly, like is that my number one, is my number one desire to be with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that it? Above all else, like nothing else even comes close. Like that's it. And if that's not it, there's something that's not right. It's just not right. You cannot live a fruitful Christian life if that is not what you desire. There's some priorities that are mixed up. There's things that you're putting in the place of God that you shouldn't. There's there's things you're spending with your time that you shouldn't be spending with your time or that you should be more wise about. There's things there's things that just aren't right. They're not right. If you if you and I if we do not long to be with him, there's something seriously wrong with our heart. Seriously wrong. We'll talk more about that in a minute. All right, number four, the bridegroom speaks to the bride, verses 14 and 15. Someone read 14 and 15 for me. Go ahead.
All right. So the bridegroom speaks to the bride, calls her my dove, oh my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock. Now, I love that phrase. One of my favorite hymns is, he hideth my soul in the clefts of the rock. I love that one. That's the one that I used to sing to my kids when they were little, um, before bedtime. I just love, I love them. I love the tune. I love the words. I love everything about it. And it says not only there, but in the secret places of the stairs. So the first thing here is our relationship with Christ is a safe place. It's a safe place. Jesus Christ should be the first person, the first place we run to in time of trouble. We should never be afraid to be with him and to spend time with him. It should be the one place that you want to run. You know, it's like right now with Lucy, she, there are certain people where, you know, they try to hold her and she's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Like if we're holding her, there have been times where I've been holding Lucy, and um, and this happens with both of us, with Megan and I, because there's times where Megan's holding Lucy, and like let's say Megan comes over and she wants to hold Lucy, but Lucy wants to be with me right now. So you know what she does? She kind of looks at her, and then she lays her head on my shoulder. <laughs> That's what she does, and she just gets closer and gets closer. And there are times with Megan where she'll do the same thing with her, where like, I want to hold her, or Megan will be like, here, go to daddy. And then she's like, mm. no, she puts her head on the shoulder of the person that she desires to be close to. That's what we're talking about. That you desire to be that close with him. When someone else tries to get your attention, we're, hey, I want your attention. I want your heart. But we're holding on to Jesus and we're like, ah, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> That's what it should be like. That's what it should be like. That when things want, our, want to pull us away from him, we just get closer. We just get closer because we want to be there. And then look at the next part of verse 14. This is what the bridegroom says. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. That is what Jesus Christ says about you. Jesus says, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. He desires to hear your voice. So here's our point. Jesus yearns to see us and to hear our voice. I don't know why in my heart and in my life when I when I was going through this and I was reading this and I was putting this together that I have not looked at Jesus Christ like this. I just haven't. I've not pictured him as someone who is like waiting on the edge of his seat and just waiting for me to talk to him. Have you ever been that way like you're waiting for a phone call from somebody? Or you're waiting to see somebody and you're like on the edge of your seat. Like you cannot wait for them to call. You can't wait for them to be there. And that desire that we have about whoever that is, is completely carnal. Like totally carnal. On a spiritual level, Jesus Christ is like that towards you. Like when you bow your head and you close your eyes and you pray and you say, dear Lord. He's like, yes, finally. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. All right, what do you got to say? I want to talk to you. I want to hear you. Your voice is sweet to me, and I can't wait to hear it. Every time I hear it, it's so sweet to me. That's Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Because he feels that way about you. And if he feels that way about you, 
why don't we feel that way about him? You know what I mean? He's like just waiting on the edge of his seat, on the edge of his throne. He's waiting to hear your voice and for you to just call out to him and to talk to him and to be with him and to spend time with him. When it comes to the person you love, you can't wait to see them and to hear their voice. And that desire inside of me, it just kindles a love for God that I just, I miss sometimes. I need that. Let me show you a couple of verses. Go to Psalm 91. Hold your spot here and go to Psalm 91. All right, Psalm 91. This was some of the verses last week that we that I wanted to hit, but we just didn't have time. Look at verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I love that verse. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers. And under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. I love those verses. Go down to verse 14. Verse 14, there's a, between verse 13 and verse 14, um, there's a transition here, and it's actually God speaking instead of, David or whoever. I think Moses actually wrote this. Moses wrote Psalm 90, but they don't have someone attributed to 91, but they think it also might be Moses as well. But look at verse 14. This is God speaking to whoever's writing this psalm. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. So because we set our love upon him, God delivers us. And when we call, he answers. Go to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. I mentioned this one at the prayer service on Wednesday. But in the context of Jesus Christ yearning to hear your voice, I love this one. I love it. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. This person who wrote this one says that he loves the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. We love God because he takes time out of his day to hear us. Verse 2, I love how this is worded. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. So to incline, what does that mean? To incline your ear. To what? To lean. To bend down, to incline unto. Like if I'm doing something with my kids, I'm older, I'm bigger, and I have to incline myself to get down onto the floor in order to be with them and to hear them and to talk to them and see them face to face. God's the same way. He inclines his ear unto us so he can hear us. So that requires humility on his part, which he does not have to do, but he desires to do it. 
but he desires to hear from you. So he's inclining his ear into you because he wants to hear you. And because he does that for you and I, that should desire, that should put a desire inside of your heart to be with him and to love him and to call upon him. Because who else is like that? I mean, what other deity, first of all, exists? None. But what other deity could exist that actually would humble himself to hear you? I mean, do you know yourself? Do you know each other? I mean, are we worth listening to? at all you kidding like for god to waste his time i feel this way a lot of time for god to waste his time with me is ridiculous i know what i've done against god i know what i've gotten away with and what he's let me go with i know those things in my heart god should not waste his time with me and yet he inclines his ear unto me because he wants to hear me i don't get that but you know what that does inside of me it makes me want to get to know him because i don't understand it but he loves me and because he loves me like that then he's worthy of everything I've got. <clears throat> All right, let's finish this out. All right, verse 15 of Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Okay, so... Obviously, these foxes are negative because it says the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. And especially it's the little ones because they're harder to see, harder to catch. But the vines have tender grapes. Now, here's the whole point. Our fellowship and fruitfulness with him is easily destroyed by the little things in our life. Your fellowship and your intimacy with Christ is very fragile. Your salvation is secure. It's stable, it's sound. There's nothing that can shake that. However, your fellowship with him is very fragile. Very, very fragile. And it's the little things in your life that will absolutely destroy it. Not the big things. Everyone thinks about the big sins. They think about the things that they won't do or that they'll, oh, I'll never do that. No, that's not the stuff that wrecks people's lives. It's not. It's the little things that then lead to the big things. Every time. Every time. In my life, in the life of people that I've been counseling with, that is it to a T. The reason why big disasters happen in their life is because they've let the little things go for so long. And if you're honest with yourself, you'd say the exact same thing about you. It's not like you wake up one day and all of a sudden, oh, how did I commit adultery today? Oh, what am I doing here? No, it doesn't work that way. It starts way back there because in your heart, you're not right with God and you just let a little bit go and then a little bit go and then a little bit go, a little bit go and then all of a sudden you're over here. That's why. That's why. You need to realize that. And so I love passages like Luke 16, 10. It says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. So those little things in your life, are you faithful? And here's, the, here's an idea and here's something to think about. Our spiritual life is ruined when we make a big deal out of the little things or and when we are unwilling to take care of the little things your spiritual life will be absolutely destroyed if you make big if you make a big deal out of the little things or you're not willing to take care of the little things so when it comes to your lack of time in the bible that's a little fox that can spoil the spoil the vine your lack of prayer gossip vain imaginations about other people having an unforgiving spirit, harboring a bad attitude, 
not setting your affections on things above. I mean, we can go on and 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 on about these lists. It's the little things that ruin everything. The reason why today that maybe you are not walking with God is not because of big things, it's because of little things. It's because of little things. And you're letting those things get in the way of your relationship with God. All right, and then lastly, verse 16 and 17. We'll end on these two verses. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. Until the day break, and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. All right, so the first point here. Christ longs, or Christ belongs to us, and we belong to him. That's the first part of 16, or the second part of 16 there. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. And nothing should separate us from Christ's love. There's nothing. If there's anything that is getting in the way of your relationship with God, it's not worth it. I don't care what it is. And I don't care how you feel about it. If there's anything, anything, if there's anything that is getting in between you and God, you need to get it out. You need to get rid of it. It's not worth it. I don't care what it is. And I don't care if you're known for it. It doesn't matter. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You belong to him and he belongs to you. You should never let anything come between you and God. Our relationship with him grows and is sustained in the valleys. That's why he says he feedeth among the lilies. We've already talked about that. That's where the lilies are. Verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Lilies are in the valleys. Your relationship with him grows and is sustained in the valleys. And here's the reason why. We find out how weak we really are and how strong he really is, how foolish we are and how wise he actually is, how unfocused we are and how diligent and faithful he is. Only when our world is shaken, we realize just how much we needed him as our firm foundation. Now, every time that's happened, and I've given you this testimony before, there are some people that when their world is rocked, they walk away. They walk away. Anytime that their faith is tested, it just falls to pieces. When things get tough, they quit. Those people do not have a good relationship with God. They don't. They don't. Now, I'm not saying you can't struggle. I'm not saying that at all. Because we will struggle. But what I am saying is that you come out on the other end and you're stronger. You're stronger for it. That's the difference. I've seen many of my friends, many people, even people that have been part of this church, even people that have been part of the youth ministry where their world gets rocked and they walk away and they are weaker and they're doing terrible and they're just in worse places. Now, God can use that thing eventually to bring them back around, but you find out what they actually believe and where their heart's really at. You find out what's inside of you when you get squeezed. You really do. And those things can make you stronger. They can make you more faithful. They can make you more diligent. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that. They just quit. They quit on God, which is terrible because he never quits on them. Ever. All right, and then lastly, verse 17. Until the day we meet him face to face, we're with him on the mountain of division. So your blanket there is division. So this one says, until the day break and the shadows flee away, which is obviously a picture of the second coming or even the rapture. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of, of Bether. So Bether means division. If you were to look that up, it means division. Now, this is really interesting to me because... If Bether means division, that means that we should long for a day we can feel at home, but we will no longer feel like a stranger in a foreign environment. When you walk with God, you are always on the mountain of division. Always. Always. 
there are certain things that you just can't have in your life and you need to divide them from you. When Christ came in Matthew 10, He said He came not to bring peace but a sword. To divide. It's just part of it. And because of that, we feel like we just don't fit in in this world ever. And there's a reason why. Because we live on the mountain of division with Him. Everything in our life has division. Everything. And so I'm looking forward to the day where I can just be with Him and that's no longer the case. Or I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. Because it can get exhausting. And that's why I need to remember where my heart's at. And so I can be with Him. So I hope this really encouraged you guys in your heart. It did in me because, um, I don't know, I think the big takeaway from this for you guys is to think about this. Do you actually have a legitimate love relationship with God? Do you? Or is it just a sham? It's either one way or the other. And as I've looked at this this past week, there are times in my life where I just kind of go through the motions and it's just not right. I don't love him like that. I don't live in anticipation like this bride does. I don't. And that's because of me. It's not because of him. Because this is something that's real. And the reason why the world hates Christians is because most of them are hypocrites. They are. Because a Christian that lives like that, I mean, they're living the real deal. They're not a hypocrite. And everyone knows it. And God's able to do some amazing things through them. And I bet, I'm willing to bet, that if we were to live like that, we'd be able to make a serious impact. Because we love Him. And because we love Him, then we start loving other people the way that He does. And then it's just bound to happen. It just happens naturally that way. So I want you to ask yourself those questions. I want you to take a look at it. And what's something in your life that you just it just keeps getting in the way and it's got to go? It's got to go. Or there's something in your heart that you're just not looking at Christ the right way. And it's got to change. And forget the past. The past is the past. It's over. It's done with. You have today, you've got tomorrow, you've got the future. What are you going to do with it? Don't ever let the things from the past deter you from what you're going to do tomorrow. Ever. Ever. They're never a good reason to disobey. Ever. They're never a good reason to be unfaithful. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the book of Song of Solomon. It definitely touches my heart a lot in this regard. And I pray, God, that we would be faithful to you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us, especially on days where we just really don't care about you. You're so good to us. You're better than what we deserve. And so help us today to just take a look at our hearts and be honest. And uh, I pray that we'd have some good conversations with people out in in the uh, auditorium, that we'd be able to um, just make our visitors feel welcome, that they would have a a sense of sincerity and genuineness about our people, because people are actually walking with you. And God, help us to forget about tomorrow and focus on right now and the days to come. And so we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.